Hello, hello, hello. You are now listening to Full Service Radio, and my guess is that you know that, because if you're listening, then you found us somehow. My name is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer and founder of Full Service Radio here on Friday, September 28th, on a kind of nice autumn day here. Lucky enough to be chatting with two filmmakers um, who will be screening their film tonight at the Line Hotel. D.C. in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., downstairs at the Banneker space. But if you're listening in the future, that's okay, because we're going to talk a lot about their film and everything that went into making it. Um, the film is Farewell Ferris Wheel, the Emmy-nominated Farewell Ferris Wheel, which is a film documentary film that spent six years exploring how the U.S. carnival industry fights to keep itself alive by legally employing Mexican migrant workers with the controversial H-2B guest worker visa. The two filmmakers are Miguel M.I.G. Martinez, we're going to find out what that means, and Jamie <laughs> Sisley. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Let's start with the M.I.G. I want to get that out of the way. What does the <laughs> M.I.G. stand for, Miguel? Uh, so it's funny. Uh, so my parents and I moved to the U.S. in 1989 to uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. <clears throat> and in school, um, at the time, you know, the, the name Miguel wasn't popular and so the teachers couldn't pronounce it. So they would be like, Miguel, Meg, Meg. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to take Meg. And then I just play it up to M-I-G, which now it means Miguel, Inteligente y Guapo. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's perfect. Um, and Miguel, and we're going to jump into the film and everything, but I do want to touch on this real quick. You have a history in radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started the first bilingual radio show in Central Virginia in 19, no, 2000. And uh, yeah, it ran for 11 years and uh, we started the, the film and I couldn't put, um, you know, as much as I could into, into the radio uh, show. So I decided to put it into the film and that's when, you know, I, it, it exchanged a few people and that's when you know i wasn't involved anymore but yeah the, my my personal uh show went on for 11 years give us like a little taste of the on-air tag or something really. oh man bienvenidos let's see if i if i remember bienvenidos out no no huh? uh bienvenidos a 91.1 fm at the sound choice in central virginia aquí está su <laughs> dj mig <laughs> E, and yeah, that's it. <laughs> nice. Ah, yes. like that. That's beautiful. Um, well, let's, let's talk about this film. Um, full disclosure for listeners, too. I, I did not watch the entire film. Uh, saw bits and pieces of it. What? No, I'm just kidding. I know, right? Like, cancel the interview. Um, but it's stunning. It looks beautiful. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, it's exploring the carnival industry and the migrant workers that make that industry run. Um, and as I understand, it's like one guy that's hiring all these workers um, for the last 30 years or something like that. Um, so let's, let's just kind of jump right into it. Um, why did you decide to explore the carnival world? What brought you to that of all topics? And this is, you're, you're both coming from like music videos, I think, and right? Yeah, kind of. I was a manager in the music industry. Okay. Um, and then uh, Mig did radio and... We had some mutual friends in the hip-hop community, um, although we didn't really know it. I met Mick because he called one day to the company that uh, I was working at, 
um, red light management. They manage uh, Dave Matthews Band and Tim McGraw at the time and Faith Hill, etc. Um, really great company. Um, but I got a call from this irate uh, Charlottesville resident who was like, you guys don't have any Latino artists uh, on your roster and you don't bring any Latino artists into town to play the venues. Um, you know, you guys are missing a huge opportunity and it's a little bit disrespectful. So we had lunch. We decided to go grab lunch and that was kind of the beginning of our friendship. Um, then in terms of the film itself, um, neither of us had done a doc before and I think both of us had interest in it. Um, as a boy growing up in Texas, um, I had a lot of nostalgia for the carnival um, and I saw an article in the Brownsville Herald which is a border town in Texas, um, about uh, this issue that was happening. Um, it was sort of portrayed as, as this win-win of, you know, um, there's this lack of work at, for the carnivals. Um, you know, Americans don't want to work these jobs, uh, this manual labor. They need uh, foreign labor. Um, so the carnivals win, and then the, these migrant workers win because they're getting paid a lot more money. So we thought that was interesting. We decided to do a film on that together. And then, you know, like many stories, you start sort of peeling the layers and you realize there's a whole lot more to it and that things aren't as altruistic as maybe they were portrayed. Um, and so it, it ended up taking us a long time to sort of unearth it all and excavate it. But, uh, you know, we're proud. We're proud of the end result. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there to explore. Um, and I think carnivals are something that everybody kind of has some level of experience with for the most part. Um, when we're talking about carnivals here, you know, um, maybe some people have different ideas of what a carnival is. What exactly are we talking about? Yeah. So, um, it, it, it's a lot of the times and even sometimes I've noticed I've confused it myself. Um, uh, fairs, traveling fairs, right? So not circuses. Um, although the visas that we explore do use these visas sometimes, um, but we focus primarily on traveling Carnivals. So we're talking about mom and pop generally organizations. A lot of these companies have been running, you know, four generations now. Um, the owners generally aren't very wealthy. They, they're sort of scraping to make ends meet. Um, and they travel around, you know, a region usually uh, 20, 30 dates a year. They usually have 20 to 30 rides. A couple are bigger. Some are smaller operations. But that's sort of what we're talking about here. Um, so the migrant workers who are coming to the states to, to do this, they're, they're coming under the H-2B visa, which is for um, temporary work, right? It's a one-year visa, I believe. <coughs> yeah. It starts it's, as a one-year. It's even less, actually. It's usually about eight months. Mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly right. We really wanted to make a movie and make... I know you could talk more about this because you were, I think, especially passionate about this. We wanted to make movie a, a movie here that did not talk about illegal immigration because um, there's a lot of films on illegal immigration um, we wanted to sort of sort of put a spotlight on the th hundreds of thousands of, of men and women who come up legally they're trying to jump through all the right hoops and do things by the books um, and, and you know maybe by exploring that subject we see how hard it is to do that um, and how that might be sort of a catalyst for a lot of people deciding to come up here illegally. Um, so Miguel, what did you know about this before coming into the filmmaking process and kind of, yeah, where, where did you start with this? Did you, did you have any awareness of that particular visa? Uh, so as I mentioned before, I moved 
from Mexico here to the U.S. So, um, you know, as soon as you cross the border, uh, immigration becomes part of your life. Whether you wanted it to be or not, it's, it automatically is just there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I came here legally, but it didn't matter. It, it, you know, in the eyes of everybody, uh, I was an illegal or I was a migrant worker, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And I do have a big family. So, yeah, I knew a little bit about the H2B, but I didn't know until, you know, like um, the, the meat and bones of it uh, until we did this film. Um, but uh, again, um, yeah, I knew a little bit about uh, about that particular visa, again, because of uh the big family that I have. <laughs> sure, yeah. And I mean, that's got to be a real thing. Like you said, just this assumption that people have that any any migrant worker at all or anybody, you know, coming over the border is illegal and undocumented or being paid under the right. books or anything like that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the actual kind of root of the film here um, and, and what makes this controversial, what makes it unique to the carnival industry particularly well, um, I think I think the problem. Um, first off, I, I, I can start by saying it's not just the carnival industry that uses the H two B. The H two B is used by a, a whole bunch of different industries that just that are in desperate need for seasonal labor. So you know you can think about it, and you could probably already kind of assume what those industries might be. Things like um, timber, right? Or mm. hotels uh, during, you know, vacation seasons. Crabbing up in Maryland especially is a really big one. Um, uh, I'm missing a few others. The vineyards. Vineyards is a really big one. Um, you know, there's, and, and you know, the, the carnival is another one. It's not even one of the bigger ones. It's To us, though, it was interesting because it's visual. Um and everybody can relate to it too. Yeah. It's, it's universal, exactly. There, there's there's a lot of good things to sort of glean from using that industry, um, and they certainly um, have the same issues uh, as those other industries. So, so they're a good representation if you're going to sort of look at them under a microscope. Um, <laughs> if you talk to the carnival industry or their lobbyists or anyone who's a proponent of these visas, they'll tell you that this is. Um, a legal way to bring workers in. It's a win-win. Um, the workers benefit, um, and and they benefit. And they also, most of them say that if they didn't have these visas, they would either have to shut their industry down, or they would have to start recruiting illegal workers. So, th- so because you know, this is if they were hiring, you know, alternatively without this visa, it's too much money. The the labor is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, it would. It would just. Well, that and also they're, they're even saying there's just no one to do the jobs. Like okay. there's this whole argument that in the 70s for the carnival, if we're just talking about the carnival, um, in the 70s, you know, generally speaking, they would just pull people out of jail. Like as soon as you got out and you needed a job, um, you'd go become a carny. You know, there's this whole yeah. stigma uh, and, and the stigma came from a real place. You know, these people would, would drink, they'd pass that on a hay bale. And then they'd go work the Ferris wheel. Um, yeah, you know, this goes back. It goes way back. Yeah. And then in the 90s, a lot of these laws changed. Things like Megan's Law to protect children. Um, and then a lot of drug rules started to sort of come into place. And so th- there was a problem. There was a real problem. There was a need 
for for um, competent workers. Um, and we found that we found that in some ways to to be true. Um, um, but in other ways, you know, we didn't. The, it, it, it's not as black and white um, <coughs> as 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 I think that that argument's portrayed. We did also we, we also agreed with a lot of that industry and in that the workers did get paid a lot more. You know, we went down to Mexico a lot, um, you know, and we followed a lot of these carnival workers. Um, a lot of the options they would have in Mexico. And, and they come from other, you know, these workers come from other countries too, but specifically Mexico. Um, most of the carnival workers come from one little town called Talapacoyan. Um, about 33, 40% of them do. Um, 80% of them, 80% of all the workers come from Mexico. About 30 to 40% come from one little town. So we went to that town several times. And if they didn't come up to the carnivals, you know, they, they, most of the time they'd work in the orchards, they'd work coffee. Um, and they'd get paid like $8 a day. Yeah. So for, agricultural jobs. Mostly, yeah. yeah. And so if you, look, if you look at what the amount of money they'd get paid up here, which is you know, starting salaries would be two, two to 300 a week, that's way better. Um, so that all makes sense. Then if you look at the flip side, there's a lot of people who are, uh, who, who are staunchly opposed to these visas. And they, they have real valid arguments as well. Uh, a lot of the things they'll say are these visas... Um, the most inflammatory, inflammatory um, sort of case against them is a lot of people say they're, they're sort of a modern form of slavery. The reason being, if you come up here for eight months, um, you can't really leave your job. Um, you know, w- one thing that we as Americans all sort of take for granted is if, you know, you, um, you're mistreated on your job, you can kind of you can just leave. Tell your boss to... Right, you quit, yeah. Yeah, screw off. I'm going to get another job. Go get right. another job. You can't really do that. Um, if, if you were to, they, you would immediately have to go home. Um, and that poses a real problem for a lot of these workers. So what you find is uh, it, there's a real imbalance um, in power between the worker and, and, and the employer. Even if the employer doesn't mean for there to be sometimes, um, a lot, uh, in a lot of cases we'd find that there were issues on the workplace and the workers wouldn't speak up because they were afraid of being retaliated against and they'd have to go home. Mm-hmm. That's a real problem. Um, so it's not an industry-specific visa. It's an employer-specific visa. That's exactly yeah, right. Correct. That's exactly right. So you get assigned to you know, midway shows in Georgia, and, and you, you have to stay there. You can't go anywhere else. That's really just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, there's living condition issues that a lot of people speak out against. Um, uh, we found... In, our, in the cases of some of the workers we followed, they didn't get paid on time, um, which is a real problem. Um, so, so, you and know. Healthcare. Healthcare is a really major problem. There's work site issues. Um, yeah, those are some of the coolest shots. You see these guys like climbing up Ferris wheels in these <laughs> crazy, like, right? dangerous yeah. positions. And that's not, the sh- that's not the stuff you see when yeah. you're at the carnival. You notice they didn't have anything supporting them, like any cables, any. No. Safety equipment, yeah. <laughs> At all. It's like they're just building it from scratch, no rules, no regulations. And that's, yeah, that's crazy. And it's beautiful to see as well because the kind of elbow grease that goes into making something that's for kids that's meant to just be magical and positive. Right. I mean, did, visually, as filmmakers, that dichotomy must have been ripe to work with where there's like the reality behind the curtain and then the fun, you know, front of house look. So, I mean, was that... 
Was that a fun set of things to work with visually to kind of tell this story? Yeah. Photographically? So much fun. Yeah, it was, man, the, the footage that didn't get into the film, you know, because of time. And, um, yeah, we have so much footage, incredible footage. Uh, I honestly don't know how we cut it down. <laughs> we, we, and this was our first project um, shooting, and I think we lucked out in some ways because it's, it's really hard to mess up a carnival. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's just so pretty. It's so visually arresting. And, and, yeah, and even the, the town in, in Mexico, Lapacoyan, yeah. um, you know, we got lucky with that just because mm-hmm. it was very visually uh, impactful as well. You know, you have this old... Uh, there were times that you would definitely didn't think you were in, in Mexico. I was looking at some of the pictures this morning, and it, it just looks like a different country. It doesn't look like Mexico once you go into the, you know, to the, to the countryside, and then you have the town of Tlapacoyan, which is it's very beautiful. So we got lucky in that aspect as far as the the visuals. Throughout the process, like what's really driving you? Uh, are you just letting? Your eye, like, are you following the sights and the sounds of things, or is there like, no, there's a specific story we want to tell here. Let's not lose sight of that. You know, what kind of drove the process for you? <coughs> well, we we had um, an idea of what we thought the story might be, and you know, so we sort of started following that, and then it pretty quickly changed. And I, you know, every filmmaker has their own philosophy or their mantra um, for how they tell their stories. We tried to be really loose. We, we wanted to sort of tell a very, very true, uh, objective sort of uh, depiction of what's happening at this carnival. Um, and then, you know, it's such a cliche to say, but then, you know, we hope the audience then would sort of take that information and make their own decision. Um, because we really, I, I, I can't speak for Mig, but I, I really do feel for both sides. I think there's a lot of carnival employers that, um, are trying to do things by the books in the, in by the, you know, on the up and up and they're, they're, they're doing the best they can to survive. Survival was a really big theme that we've found pretty, pretty early on. You know, th- those employers just want to survive. They want their families to survive. And the same with the workers. The, 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 they, those workers, they work harder than almost anyone I've ever seen in my life. And it's really just so that their families can survive and they can, they can make a better life for their families. Mm. And wh- the title, Farewell Ferris Wheel, where, where is that taken from? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, <laughs> that, <laughs> is the Ferris Wheel still here? That's the real question. It's still here. <laughs> okay, it's yeah, not gone. It's still, it's still here. We, that was like a holdover from the very beginning when we started the film. And, and at the time, we really did think that um, the film was about the end of the, the carnival. carnival because of uh, all of these congressional laws that were, that were coming into place that were going to erase this visa we're talking about, the H2B seasonal work visa. Which would risk ending the industry because no, no one else wants those jobs and they're not going to hire illegal workers. So, yeah. That's right. Obviously, the, this film changed. It evolved. <laughs> um, but we were kind of stuck with the name. You know, there's alliteration there. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think it's a beautiful name um, yeah. combined with a lot of the imagery that's in there. Um, kind of shifting a little bit. Do you feel like documentaries are very dogmatic these days i feel like if you're on netflix and you watch a documentary usually within six or seven minutes you can be like oh this is a right-wing thing or oh this is a left-wing thing you know do you feel like that's a problem in the industry and is that something that um you feel you were successful in avoiding with this film well again i 
I don't want to speak for you, Meg, but for me personally, I'd like to actually hear what you, you have to say. Uh, but for me, I, I, I applaud every storyteller out there. I think everyone has their own reasons for wanting to tell stories. And I think different approaches merit different kinds of stories. Um, so I don't think there's any necessary right or wrong way to do it. You know, I'll go to a Michael Moore film sometimes because it's yeah. entertaining. Yeah. Um, do I necessarily come away from it feeling like nourished from a substance level or, or do I feel like I've taken anything away from it that I didn't already know? No, not really. It's um, like the confirmation bias thing, right? You're like, you go into this because you know it's going to reinforce the thing that you think already and yeah. you feel more empowered by the end. And I think there's different, you know, uh, all, I, <coughs> I admire all those kinds of filmmakers. Um, for us, though, we, I think, wanted to tell a story in this case where uh, there was just, there's so many almost grossly subjective uh, stories about immigration, generally illegal immigration on both sides, that we, we tried to recognize that there was a lot uh, of common, uh, th- 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 a lot of people agreed with what was going on in immigration more than disagreed. And we kind of wanted to highlight that, that there's, there's actually a lot of overlap here. Um, I don't think people are, I, I, I don't think both of the sides are too far away from each other. Um, and if we can just sort of acknowledge that and, and just give a really realistic portrayal of what's happening right now, um, with with this immigration debate, maybe that would help people sort of see the other side of things. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was cool too because it's it's the carnival, right? So there's a certain um, you know it, it's the carnivals are rural, they're folksy, and they're they're southern. I mean, they're Americana. They're Americana. They're one of the biggest yeah. kinds of Americana. So our hope was that also, if there's a certain group that might really respond to that. Um, you know, maybe they could see the other side of things from like an immigrant's point of view and vice yeah. versa. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, we, we made a conscious decision for to play on the Americana theme, uh, you know, from the color correction to the music and everything. But at the end of the day, you know, I, me personally speaking, um, at the end of the day, this is all art that we're making. Uh, it doesn't matter who makes it, you know, if it's to left, to right, whatever. It's art. Uh, whoever makes it, it's their voice. For us, this is our voice. And and I think we have a unique partnership where I'm originally from Mexico. I came here legally. And so I brought in that perspective. Jamie's from here. So he brought in that perspective. So I think that also made for this balance film to come in and... and I wouldn't say it was easy, but definitely it was a little bit easier than just having one director and just, uh, you know, you never know where we would have taken it if it was just, would have been just us. Either one of you making that film. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's interesting hearing you say Americana, too, because I feel like the American story is the immigrant story. Right. So there's there's that. I mean, what is more American than the carnival and the flip side of that, the immigrant workers that make it go? Yeah, and, and you know, you, you have this film talking about the carnival and the, the characters, they're from Mexico. Mm-hmm. So you definitely have, you know, a, a world that we're showing you where it mirrors what's happening in the U.S. in a lot of companies. You have, like, restaurants being supported by immigrants. You have... You know, 
again, hotels, you know, the mates and all these people. What about baseball, too? Baseball, <laughs> there you go. Mind. Nothing more American, yeah, right? Yeah, baseball. And so, you know, again, we wanted to show something that would represent what's happening um, right now in our world uh, with this film. Did any of the characters really surprise you, either in personality or anybody that you kind of developed a close friendship or relationship with throughout the process? Any characters that kind of stuck out? Um, I mean, I was surprised by all, all of their stories. Uh, I didn't know where any of their stories were going to land. And I, I tried as best I could to not um, fall too much for all, any of them. But it was hard. <laughs> I mean, it was. I think at the end of the day, Meg and I both felt very similarly to the whole situation, um, but we didn't want to put our. We didn't want that to bleed into the film. Yeah. Um, it, it got mentally hard for me. Me too. You know, it, it emotionally hard. I mean, it, think about it. We we've been working on this film for, or at the time we had been working on the film for. Uh, almost 10 years or something like that. So you, you get to spend a lot of time with people and you create these relationships and you start to see both of their views. And, you know, even if you think some of the views don't align with your own views, you can understand where it's coming from. But it's extremely hard to tell that on the film. You know, just anyway. And so, yeah, you create these relationships and... and, and I don't know, I'm speaking for myself, like, it just took a lot away from me, just knowing that you get to meet these people, and at the end of this project, you, you got to move on. Yeah. You got to move on, and you, you know, you can't help in different ways, but you really can't do anything while you're shooting, because otherwise, your film is not going to be, you know... It's like a conflict, almost. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, totally. But Ten years, I mean, in, like, seen kids grow up then <laughs> yeah. from the beginning of the process totally. to the end right yeah that's wild um it's a lot of time to spend around carnivals too <laughs> um, yeah did you uh for the sake of research let's say did you ride the rides did you you know <laughs> like was there was there any part of the process like all right we got to do this we're just going to spend a day at the carnival and do all the things to kind of see it from that side yeah yeah we did we we actually had uh yeah i think that was our uh um, or excuse, you know, we need this shot, so we need to do it from this perspective, and let's ride the Ferris wheel, or let the bumper cars, I still remember the bumper cars, Yeah, I, I remember you had the, the camera and I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> the, the carnival, the workers and the owners always wanted us to ride the rides, yeah. they were always very generous. And is there a sense of pride, you see, when, when they're seeing you ride a ride, or anybody having fun? Is there a sense of pride from the workers' perspective there? I don't. I don't know. I, I like honestly, <laughs> you know, to 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 a certain degree, yes, I I believe so. Like you would see, um, so so the way we shot this film too, it was um, so I would direct when we would go to the you know the Mexican workers, and when we were uh, with the American owners and the middleman, Jamie would direct. So we both had, um, uh, you know, a different relationship with with the characters. So when it came to me and the, you know, the Mexican workers, I, I do remember then them always telling me like, you should write it, like, you know, like, man, if if you really want, one of them, one of them, I still remember. He was like, I don't know, um, 
he had a problem like putting one of the the um the bumper cars something was happening to a bumper car and so he he made it work and he he was so proud and he's like you should write it you should write it. i'm like no i'm like it's okay i'm shooting it no you definitely should write it like you should test it out i'm like no you know um so you know those kinds of things and i do remember that they would tell us like you should go or tell me you should go up and I think I think it would be cool if you guys have a shot of the whole thing. I can stop the Ferris wheel. Like this is during the time where people are at at the at the carnival, and so they're like, "No, we'll stop you right at the top." And do you need what five minutes, ten minutes? We'll just leave it there. I'm like, "No, that's okay, man." I mean, it feels like it's like a chef wanting to send you out the best thing in their kitchen too, right? Totally. It's like, "Oh, here's the coolest trick. You want the? We'll stop it at the top, and you get your shot." <laughs> yeah. um, for both of you, what would your favorite ride be if if you uh you know you can say as a kid or as an adult either way, but you've got a day at the carnival. What are you riding first? What's oh man, that's a t- that's like picking your favorite child. Sophie's choice right there. <laughs> then I'll go uh, the bumper cars. I just like <laughs> get that aggressiveness out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would. I would say. Uh, Florencio's ride was probably my the the crazy one where what's oh, it called? Uh, it has a weird name to it. Yeah, man, it, it was like that arm, right? It's like a you know like the claws where like you go like get the stuffed animal and bring it back up. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like that, but then it like just jerks you all around in the air. Just oh, this I know. Huge talking, yeah. claw that just goes around just, all over. That's one of the extreme ones. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are fun. I like those. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> the name of it. Not for anybody with a weak stomach. No, um, no. I imagine there are a lot of logistical challenges in getting, you sort of touched on that, but getting some shots and, and the process of filmmaking at these spots. What are some of the things that were hardest to get done? And <coughs> Well, honestly, the biggest one was just that we had never really shot a doc before. Um, Mig had shot stuff before. I had never literally turned on a camera before. So the first year... I mean, we, it was like learning white balance, learning mm. lens choices, learning, <clears throat> you know, how to piece together stories. That took us time. Ask about that, the interviewing process, because neither of you is coming from a journalism background, really, right? So no, that's that's correct. So, and there's yeah, you're really right to bring that up. There's a there's a real art and a talent, as you're well aware of, uh, of interviewing people. And and it took it took me a really long time. It took me several years to get to a point where uh, I was listening more than talking. Um, and I think that's sort of the key I've found. And did you leave, both of you leave this project like, okay, I want to do, do more of this. I want to tell another story. Or Hell you, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. It's, that's, it's a bug, right? It's yeah. like this is, there's so many good stories out there. Then it's just a matter of figuring out what to do next. Yeah, you know, you, again, you know, it's, it's art, and you're an artist, so you you want to keep telling stories, whether it be through film or photography or the written word or you know um, even radio. So so yeah, no, I have that bug. Jamie has that bug. So yeah. So then, what's next? Uh, I mean, you're still you're still kind of touring around this film, uh, and it premiered. So you started it in 2008, right? That was when you start <laughs> yeah. production. Yeah. Okay, so here we are, ten years later. Jesus. Um, so it premiered in DC, right? 2016 at AFI Docs. That's right. Yeah. Um, I think you won a People's Voice Award at the 2017 Fist Up Film Festival. A bunch of other accolades along the way, and 
screening here tonight. So you're still kind of, you know, touring this thing around. Um, yeah, yeah, the biggest one is the Emmy nomination that we got. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, no, it's still, it's still going. It's crazy. I mean, there's no way in a million years you think that you're going to end up with an Emmy nomination in 2008 when both of you are just like, we've never done this. We've never made. How, how, do, you, how do you change the lens? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had, no, I had no expectations, honestly. I just wanted to make a... I thought the story was really, really cool. Um, and I thought it needed to be told. And, uh, and it was, you know, just a really fun journey. Uh, and the rest of this is just sort of icing. Well, it sort of raises the stakes for you both, I imagine, no? To, to get something like that. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. does. It's, it's, it helps with trying to get other projects off the ground, for sure. And do you have any ideas of other projects that have been in the back burner, in the back of your minds, or are you just kind of soaking this all in right now? No, yeah, we're, we're, we have stuff that's, that's baking right now um, that will hopefully come out soon. So, you know, you always have to spin a bunch of plates, you know, as I'm sure you, we all do, right? Like doing, doing art stuff, you, you're constantly having to make stuff. So for young filmmakers, um, I mean, it's really like, it's a crazy story to, to, to have come where you've come 10 years ago to end up with an Emmy nomination. I think a lot of people assume that's, that's impossible. Like, oh, I'll never, I'll never end up there. Or advice, any, any insights as to like what helped that happen um, and perspective on the other side of that. Like, you know, as you said, it, it may make future projects easier, but how much has changed since getting that nomination? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, For advice, I can definitely say that. Um, so the reason I got into this this project because it was personal to me. Even though I didn't work in the in the carnival industry or anything, immigration was part of my life, and so I was a legal immigrant that came here. And we were going to talk about legal immigrants that come here to work. And so that in itself, it made it personal to me. And, and I think art needs to be personal in order for it to, to flourish and grow and be successful. If, you know, if this was a different project that I just got in because I, I thought it was cool or whatever, usually when, you know... Uh, when usually when I take those types of projects, they end up just getting canned, you know. And and even though this took so long to make, um, at the end of the day, I enjoyed it because uh, and I put everything into it because it was personal. So I believe that art doesn't matter what it is. If you if you come from it from a personal space, uh, and you make it cool or try to make it cool but as long as it's personal then it can flourish it can grow it can definitely be successful and other that, people will feel that i'm sure as they watch it yeah and that, that that's my my two cents on on that yeah yeah no i agree and we've talked about this i mean it's i think um having a voice is very important and that's such a heady topic to sort of try to cover um but I think just gravitating towards things that you're interested in and then trying to ask yourself the hard questions of why am I interested in this and what's my take on this, I think that usually leads to, to good stuff. And sometimes it doesn't is the other thing. It's like, I don't know, I, you fall on your face a lot. And, and I think if 
if you realize that you're learning from everything, you, you never, you really can never lose, and and you're always winning. And I think eventually you just keep polishing your story into something that becomes universal. You know, it, you have a voice and it's something personal, but then it's also universal. And that's I think Meg, what you were saying, where other people and you're saying other people can start to uh, see themselves in those stories. And I think that's when you start to make something that, that really resonates and is impactful. Yeah. And, and also have a lot of patience, mm. a lot of patience, put in the time. And uh, even if it's 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, yeah, no, that's it. Patience. A lot of people now want things to be quick, but sometimes and, you just need it. And money is money is hard. It's hard to find fundraising, but you have to be patient with that, too. You know, that's a big reason it took our project so long. Um, it's just hard to find financing, but but it's there. You just have to keep knocking on doors. And you had a few partners in this that helped <laughs> um, along the way. Who who were who did you kind of join up with on that end of things? Uh, ITBS, which oh. is one of the production arms of PBS, um, was our biggest financier, followed by Latino Public Broadcasting. That's another uh, public broadcasting con- uh, organization. We had um, the Jerome Foundation, the Firelight Media uh, Lab and Fellowship, Film Independent, and the Tribeca Film Institute all ended up coming on board in various degrees to sort of help push the film along. I imagine, I mean, we could talk about this forever, but that must be a a process to to, (laughs) to build those relationships. And I mean, that's a whole different thing, but part of filmmaking, right? Yeah, equally. It's not all just art, right? Like, it's... um, Unfortunately, like there's there is a business to it. So unless you you just want to be an artist as a hobbyist, which there's nothing wrong with, but it, um, if you're actually trying to do this to to, to you know feed yourself and pay bills, uh, you have to figure that part out. And it, it took us a while to figure it out. Yeah, we're still figuring it out. <laughs> it's know? not just like a <laughs> online submission form, like fund my movie, and then two weeks later somebody funds it or doesn't. I imagine it's relationship building and a whole mountain of things yeah and you have to hustle it really comes down to that like even if you're the best artist in the world uh i i've i know a lot of people who i don't necessarily consider maybe to be the the best artists but they're really good at promoting themselves um and i'm not knocking them like that's a talent um you know and and they're they're successful for it and i know a lot of incredible artists who aren't good at promoting themselves and they go nowhere. You, you really do have to be at least decent at both, I think. Or know somebody who is. Or know, right, yeah, right, right, totally, right, right. totally. Yeah. <laughs> Surround right. yourself with good people. Yeah. That's, there's the tip right there. Well, I'm sure it's still surreal to, to have this nomination out there. If, am, am I right? Um, here in my notes says it's October 1st, right? Yes. Is the, um, the, the news and documentary Emmys? Yeah. Yeah, correct. So Monday, this coming Monday. This coming Monday. Yeah, we'll be in New York City. Just, you know, <coughs> hoping and praying that, that, we, that, that, we get, that we get the win. But, you know, the nomination, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's insane we got nominated. I mean, we're up against some of my favorite filmmakers of all time. We're up against Steve James, the guy did, you know, among many other incredible films, Hoop Dreams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is like one of the main reasons I decided personally to try to make a documentary. That guy's like my hero my hero and so it is absolutely surreal to think that we're even in the same category as that dude yeah i mean we're not right but we are at least emmy wise (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, and yeah, it's it's amazing. And just going back to that, uh, you know, like advice stuff. You know, you just you have to believe in yourself. We never knew that. We, I mean, this is our first film, and look where we're at. And what just Jamie just said, and um, yeah, it's just incredible. It's 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 a surreal feeling. Yeah. Well, it'll be really interesting to go back to this conversation years from now when who knows what's next after something like this. Um, getting an Emmy nomination. Like I said, I'm sure it opens up all kinds of new doors. Um, super excited to see where you guys go next. I'm sure we'll do the next interview in Miguel's uh, Maserati uh, <laughs> in a couple of years. That, that'll, that, sure, that's where, we're, where we'll be next. And maybe Miguel, well, uh, maybe there'll be a return to the radio airwaves at some point. Yeah, claro que sí. You know, aquí en 91.1 FM. amazing Um, well you can find everything about the film online I believe the website is well you can actually remind me because it's not up here what is the website it's just uh, farewellferriswheel.com awesome farewellferriswheel.com if you happen to be listening to this live right now and live in Washington D.C. come to the Lion Hotel tonight to see the screening otherwise it is available on Netflix for anybody to watch so go do that now whether you're listening in real time or in the future who knows when you're listening to this the beauty of archived podcasts (laughs) um but really thank you guys both for being here awesome chatting about this uh anything else you want to leave um listeners with additional resources other things to take away uh just thanks a lot for for having us and uh your all's bar drinks your cocktails are amazing here yeah. at the, uh, <laughs> that'd be the other thing i would say out to todd thrasher brothers and yeah. sisters now big shout out to the line yeah. uh, hotel uh you know we'll be we'll be well you know let me promote this we're gonna be in the line hotel in austin october 3rd and then we're gonna be at the line hotel in la october 6th all right, there you go. You're making the, the line rounds. I love that. Yeah, no, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, re- really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you, guys. And thank everybody for listening. Thank you, Alexia Brown, for engineering today's show. This thank is, you. again, Full Service Radio. Find us online at fullserviceradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere else. Um, follow us online at Full Service Radio on Instagram and Facebook. Full Service RDO on Twitter because of character limits. Uh, Again, this has been Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you all next time. Peace.